We are in the year of transformation. Aren't you glad? Amen. And I just want to read this scripture to you again from Mark chapter 9. If you want to follow along, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up in a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, and were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud, uh, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now you and I know that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. The message here for transformation is to listen to him. When you look at this story, it's not just, hey, isn't that neat? They got to see Jesus for who he really was. Not only did they see Jesus for who he really was, they got to see what he was turning them into. This is a picture of where you and I are supposed to go if we'll, in fact, listen to him. The concept of transformation in this particular word and in other places in Scripture we would understand the concept of metamorphosis from the Greek metamorpho, and that simply tells you that there is a process involved with transforming into what we're supposed to be, the likeness of Christ, the image of Christ, the values of Christ, the beliefs of Christ. Can I, can I have an amen? The, the power of Christ, whatever agenda he has as well. That's what we're supposed to be transforming into. You say, well, I don't need to transform into anything. I've already arrived. That's the very reason why you need to be transformed. There's a special heavenly allowance right now in the body of Christ for this type of transformation. There's mercy and power being made available. If you want to transform this year, if you want to be changed this year, God's going to come alongside of you with great power, amen, and make that a reality. But you have to actually desire to see Him change your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 9, uh, 8, verse 29, rather, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, to become like Him. Listen to this from Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and here, uh, there I will let you know, and I'll let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do so. Look at somebody and say, as it seemed, good to the potter to do so. Isaiah 64, 8 says that you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, and we're the work of your hands. Now look at somebody and say, you're the clay. You're not the potter. Let's say that one more time. I'm the clay. God is the potter. But the real key in this message in context is, who has got their hands on you as you're being formed? Because there are a lot of people, even in the body of Christ, it's not the hand of God. It's influences from society, it's culture, it's family, it's all kinds of motives and all kinds of influences other than the Lord. And if anybody, any other thing has their hands on you, you're not going to transform into the image of Christ. It's very important you understand this. We talked about the power of Him to transform us and His will to transform us. We understand that. 
But I want you to understand the concept today that it was, it was in my heart, and I want you first to understand why our transformation might stall or fail. We covered a few of these last week, but you know, before that, uh, that larvae becomes a butterfly or a moth that goes through a process of transformation and spends some time in a what? In a cocoon. And as I saw this this year, I see a lot of Christians, they're certainly born again. You know, Todd brought that same concept up again this morning. They're born again. They've experienced the new birth. They're right with God, but they're not moving forward in transformation. They're stuck in a cocoon. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I want to talk about these and then transition to the biggest reason I believe many are this way. The first one is simply pride. If you don't think you need to change, or when you hear a message on transformation, you automatically think about, well, Joe should be here today. Or you're thinking about somebody on your seat or somebody else you used to know. If we're talking about transformation, there must be something in your life that needs to change. And if you're sitting there saying, nah, I'm just fine, that's your problem. You're in a cocoon of pride and you can't move forward in your transformation until you recognize your need. And the only one who can actually help you, of course, is the Lord. Sin is another reason that we stay in a cocoon. You can be born again, but stay in sin. Stay in repeated and willful sin, and you're not going to move forward in your transformation. In fact, you'll be the same 20 years from now unless you make the decision that God can and will help you bring deliverance and bring victory over that area. In other words, what you can't do is say, well, this is just life. Everybody sins a little. No big deal. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. You can't have that mentality. People that are born again should not desire to sin or to continue to sin. And if you're sinning and you're stuck there, you're not going to move forward into what God has for you. There's so much more outside that cocoon. How many agree living outside the cocoon and flying around is a whole lot better than living the rest of your life in a cocoon? Another reason that folks spend their time untransformed totally because they're in a cocoon, it's called grief. They lose something or somebody, and that's the day they get stuck. And I'll tell you, it's not just the person that's the problem. I've been in this a long time as a pastor, and I can tell you, sometimes we facilitate and we actually empower people to stay in a spirit of grief and don't even realize what we're doing. We should be helping people get out of that pattern and on with their lives. Their life did not end when that person died. God's purpose did not end when that person went on to glory. And you got to be careful that you don't facilitate the entrance and the domicile of that spirit of grief in somebody else's life. Sometimes you have to say a strong word to people that are going through this. And the church says, well, I'll just say nice things and just kind of compliment people and kind of help them hold their hand. Sometimes, look at somebody and tell them, sometimes we need to be told the way it is. Everybody will go through a process of grief, but they need not get stuck in the spirit of grief. And you can tell that you're stuck in the spirit of grief if you start losing other things besides what was taken away from you already. Number four is offense. That should go without saying, but you cannot be bitter, unforgiving, and grudge-holding in advancing your transformation. In fact, what I have found out is that when I see offense come into a Christian's life, that's the day they stop growing, that's the day they stop developing, that's the day they stop becoming Christ-like. There's no more purpose, no more agenda, no more joy, no more peace. I'm telling you, the body of Christ is filled with people who got stuck at some point in time, and they're in a cocoon of offense because they won't let that thing that somebody did or said about them go. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stay in the dark in that slimy cocoon just because of what somebody said about me. 
I'm going to punch out and just go ahead and fly. Amen. Enjoy my life. But you'd be amazed. I'll run into them five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later. And guess what? They're in the same spot developmentally as they were when they first took that offense. Turn to somebody and tell them, no matter what. Say it again. No matter what. They say to you, about you, what they do to you, what they don't do. Do not take offense. Funny thing about offense is, even when people realize they've been offended and gotten stuck, they don't have the humility to own up to it. So when you do come to your senses and you realize you're trapped in a cocoon of offense, have the humility to say, you know what, this was wrong, this was wrong-headed, I should have forgiven, I'm going to forgive them in Jesus' name. Say, would not forgive everybody of everything they've ever said against me or to me or done against me in Jesus' name. Isn't that a better way to live? I said, isn't that a better way to live? Some folks are stuck in a cocoon of pride or sin or grief or offense. Some, number five, are stuck in a cocoon of apathy. They just don't care to grow. There's no appetite there spiritually. There's no life in them. You know? They don't care about the things of God. They don't care about the things of the ministry. They don't care about things relative to the church. They just don't care. That apathy is keeping them from moving forward. Can they be born again? Yes. I don't know about you, but he didn't die for you and for me to remain in a cocoon of apathy. If there's one thing you can say about the Lord, he was not apathetic. While we were yet sinners, he was motivated enough to come down here and die for you and for me. Let's be motivated enough to get out of our cocoon of apathy and do something for God in these last days. Number six is adversity. A lot of people are trapped in a cocoon of adversity because it seems like one thing after another has happened to them and they're paralyzed and they're distracted. But how do you understand there's nothing the devil can throw at you that God can't turn around? I want you to shout this out. God can turn it around. Say it like this. God is turning it around. Say it like this. God turned it around. That needs to be your mentality. Amen. So some things have gone sideways against your life. That's no reason for you to stop growing. People think that adversity is where we get our faith. No, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But you can learn to overcome things, and you can learn patience through things. It's your decision what you do with it, and I encourage you to step out of it. Number seven is fear. Some people won't come out of that cocoon because they are afraid. They're afraid of losing something if they change. They're afraid of getting in some kind of a situation where they're, they're persecuted or people are down on them. I've met people who would stay silent and remain marginal because they didn't want to offend other people in their family or where they work. You know, it's time for you not to be worried about offending for speaking up. Become alive in Christ and begin to share what you have, that life that you have on the inside of you. You know, you're so pinned down maybe in the workplace that you won't say anything. Somebody there is desperately in need of the truth that you have, the experiences that you've had, the power that's touched your life. They need to hear what you know. So come out of that cocoon in Jesus' name. Number eight is desires. A lot of people are so busy pursuing wrong desires, it just overwhelms any desire or appetite for God. You and I need to make sure that our desires line up with Him, not the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life can have a big amen today. So you can see there are also a lot of things that will cause you to be stuck in a cocoon and not transform. Well, Pastor, I just want to hear about the good stuff. Would you move on today? No, because if you don't come out of your cocoon, then I'm wasting my time. That's right. 
Come on, say it. I'm coming out of my cocoon in Jesus' name. Now, that said, there is a cocoon that has got a lot of people trapped in their thinking. And I, I struggled for a way to describe this, and I really believe the Lord gave me this, this phrase. And the phrase is simply this, trans-fantasy. We have developed a fantasy about what we can transform into. This society has developed a fantasy over what it can transform into. Now, at the foundation level this, you and I can only transform into what God says in His Word we can transform into. That's the parameter. That's the guideline. What, what does He think we can transform into? It's the belief that I can transform into something that I cannot. And there's some Christians that are caught in this. A lot of people in the world are caught in this. What does fantasy mean? Well, it means the power or process of creating especially unrealistic or improbable mental images in response to psychological need. Say psychological need. So much of the trans fantasy going on in this country around the world is because people have a psychological need and they're not taking these things to God. And unfortunately today, we have people in the spiritual realm, we have spiritual leaders, we have clinical you know, psychologists and psychiatrists, we have people that should know better are actually empowering people to go down the path of trans fantasy. You can't afford to do that. It's unbelievable, but even in the medical profession now, people are, are using their position to advocate a trans fantasy of where people can go where the Word of God never tells them they can. Good word, good word. Are you here today? There's a phrase called chimerical, chimerical. And it simply means being formed from different parts of an animal. It means an impossible transformation. It comes from an interesting Greek concept called chimera. And it's a Greek mythology, uh, mythology term. And it means a fire-breathing female monster some of y'all think, I know that person. I married that person. <laughs> Wrong sermon. Different day. A fire-breathing female monster with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail. Now, how many know that you're not going to probably see this in this lifetime unless it's computer generated? Yeah? The thing that's hoped for or wished for, but in fact, is illusion or impossible to achieve. You would be amazed how many people are being sucked up into this mindset. You know, if you deviate from God's standard and His Word, you're capable of believing anything. That's right. That's true. Are you here today? Now, if, 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 you, if you view yourself as, as woke, you're going to be completely offended by the time I'm done today. <laughs> that's not my intent. My intent is to push you back over onto the Word of God. Because your mind needs to be renewed properly to stay where He wants you to go. Trans fantasy simply means that I start to believe that I can transform into something that I can't transform into. Now, it should probably, uh, you know, not be a big stretch for you to imagine that they're never going to call me and cast me as an Oompa Loompa. (laughs) 
I used to have people all the time, especially kids, they'd look up at me like that and go, did you play basketball? Did you play basketball? And I got to the point and I'd say, no, were you in the circus? <laughs> My joke, settle down over there, amen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm never going to just transform, pop into a phone booth. Some of you are like, what is a phone booth? <laughs> That's where you take your cell phone in the closet because you don't want your parents to hear what you're talking about. <laughs> phone booth. <laughs> but a few years ago, they actually had these little boxes and phones in and pay phones. And some of you kids are like, what? And you put some money in there and you pick up the phone and hopefully you know what the number is. If not, there's a big yellow book from Bell with half the pages gone. So you would look up the page number, you know, the number and call them. Phone book. And so in the original Superman, you would duck into a phone booth. Clark Kent going in. Superman coming out. Now how many would say that if, if pastors here today... <laughs> And he actually believes that at night he walks into a phone booth and comes out Superman. How many, how many say it's time to find a new church? There's something wrong. He's, he's out there with trans fantasy. It's the same thing. I can walk around doing this all day long. But if I actually do this at the top of a skyscraper or a tall hotel and go and then try to jump off, my trans fantasy is going to end really quickly with me on the ground in a million pieces. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I am never going to transform into Celine Dion. They're never going to ask me to do a residency in Las Vegas. It's just not going to happen. But there's a bigger reason why I'm not going to transform into Celine Dion. Because every chromosomal situation in my body, every single cell, is XY. Every single one. Listen to me carefully. No matter what I do to my body, it is trans-fantasy to think that I can change myself chromosomally. That's not happening. And until that is able to be done, and guess what? It can't be done in sustained life. I am what God made me. Jesus, amen, quoting even from Genesis, God made them male and Female, And he gave that teaching in the context of correcting them on divorce. He said it's, it's marriage between a male and female. Genesis tells us the same thing. The principle is there. Why do I bring that up? Because no matter how much somebody wants to believe the trans fantasy, that you can become a female from a male, still every cell, say every cell, every cell. is XY. The only exception to that is a disease or a syndrome called Klinefelter's. And basically when that happens, you, you have an extra X. But guess what? You're still male anatomically. You have some issues physically, but nothing changes the fundamental genome in your life. 
The other exception is Jacob's syndrome. It's a rare genetic abnormality, which a person that receives an extra Y chromosome from the father. But again, you're still completely 100% male in every way. People use today their confusion over science instead of embracing the truth of science, which backs up the Bible every single time. There really are only two categories. That's what the science says. That's what the genetics say. And it is, it is trans fantasy for anyone to believe otherwise. Come on, say it. Trans fantasy. Do you want to know what's really driving the bus? I'll tell you what's driving the bus. It costs a human being to try to do a trans fantasy between $120,000 and $40,000 to do so. Many of these people going in for counsel receive one to two hours of counsel. And the next thing you know, they're scheduled for reassignment surgeries. All over the world, this is happening. Guess who it's an affront to? It's an affront to the one that made them. He said, Pastor, this isn't very politically correct. Let me ask you a question. Since when have I ever been politically correct? When? Look at somebody and say, when? That's not the point. This is where you need to have as a mentality to love everyone. Because if I went around single every single day, going like that throughout the office, You should have some compassion if I really believe that. But guess what? You shouldn't join me in the fantasy. I walk into the office next week and everybody's got red and blue suits on going pew, pew. Singing Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Why is this important? Because the devil's no longer, listen, the devil's no longer satisfied with your deception. He wants your trans-fantasy. He's wanting you to normalize what is completely contradictory to the Word of God. Are you here today? Bill Maher said it best. He said, you know, and I have almost nothing in common with Bill Maher. His show is called Politically Correct, and 99% of the time he is politically correct. (laughs) But occasionally he actually has something smart to say. You know, a blind squirrel is going to find a nut occasionally. And he said, when I was a little boy, all I wanted to be in the world was a pirate. He said, I thank God my parents didn't have my eye poked out and my legs sawn off. So he could have an eye patch and a peg leg. One like Barbosa, you can unscrew it and drink out of it. If you are here today, say I'm here, and you want to identify as a monkey, you are free to do so. I mean, you can scratch yourself, eat bananas, amen, jump up and down, whatever you want to do. You believe you're a monkey. That's fine. That's your choice. 
it is not your choice and not your right to force me to agree with your delusion and fantasy. You're in a trans fantasy. You're not a monkey. But you believe you're a monkey? They have pills for stuff like that. You're not going to get me to agree with your fantasy and back it and defend it. You can do what you want to do, but don't expect me to enter into and agree with it. You have a right to have trans fantasy. I have a right to reject it. Now, the world out there says no. Listen to what I'm telling you. It is not hate because I won't enter into your fantasy. Superman, Spider-Man, Celine Dion, male to female, female to male. You are a monkey. You're entitled to it, but you're not entitled to make me embrace your trans fantasy. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap because he made them, he made you a certain way. It doesn't make me a hater. It makes me sane. Just, that's all it means. One blogger said this, even though I was born visible, I identify as invisible. He said, he said therefore, I'm transparent. <laughs> My, <laughs> where'd pastor go? <laughs> where'd he go? My preferred pronouns are who and where. If we're not to yield in our lives to trans fantasy, nothing you can do about other people doing it. But in your life, the key is to find out what God says you can transform into and then decide to follow that instead of believing the hands of society and the hands of educators, the hands of other family members on you right now telling you this is what you should be. You should embrace this trans fantasy. It's like, get your hands off of me. The master belongs on me, amen? Molding me and making me. The parameters, I can transform into anything God says I can. Guess what? It is no trans fantasy that I can become like Jesus and live in victory and perfect peace. Look at somebody and tell them that is no fantasy. But a whole lot better than this other nonsense that's going on. Man, say it. I'm not a hater. I'm just saying. We'll be covering these in in detail, but I really wanted to give them to you today, the factors that provide a foundation for biblical transformation. Everybody's morphing into something. Come on, say that with me. Everybody in this room is morphing into something. God would have you morph into what he says you should morph into. And the bottom line is, that's going to depend on the information you expose yourself to. 
That's going to depend on the spirits that you expose yourself to. And listen carefully. That's going to depend on the crowd or people you're exposing yourself to. It's time to turn some things off. It's time to cancel some subscriptions. Are you here today? It's time to withdraw from some connections and influences that are causing you to be morphed in the wrong way. Well, just break this down for you. There are, there are three of these that are very important, very powerful. And one is remaining in the Word of God. Yes. No matter what pressure is put on you. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. J.B. Phillips says, do not let the world squeeze you into its what? Into its small. Do not let the world have its hands around you as you're being fashioned. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the same word, listen carefully, the same word that's used in describing Jesus' transfiguration is used in this scripture. That's how powerful the word of God will be in your thinking. You renew your mind by the word. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, a day, a week, a month out of the word of God is a day, a week, a month out of the renewing of the mind and the transformation of the life. You cannot afford to not be in the Word of God or you will morph into something that is not of God. You've got to be able to test when it's bad theology coming your way or somebody's good idea or what they think or something from the entertainment world or something passed down generationally, some religious saying. You need to know the difference between that and the truth. Our minds don't stay renewed. I wish we could just one and done. That's not how it is. We're transformed by renewing the mind. All transformation begins in the mind. We're either going to conform to the pattern of this world or be transformed by the renewing of the mind in God's work. Paul said in Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. The more we're in the word, the more change we're going to have and experience. Why? Because it is an element for transformation, literally, in the Word of God. That's why you can't afford to be sitting under preaching that is not the Word of God. And not just when you're here, when you're not here. You cannot afford to listen to things that do not line up with the Word of God. Because you will morph into something else. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. I told you there is a special dispensation of grace. God is going to transform us like never before if we'll allow Him to do it. There is also a work of the enemy like never before to morph you into something that contradicts what God's vision for you is. You've got to make sure you understand that. You cannot neglect the Word of God and be transformed. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their Thoughts. No, I'm not going to give you five minutes on the renewing of the mind through the Word of God. I may give you ten messages on it. And by the end of the year, you're going to know how to renew your mind. Amen. Amen. You're going to push things out that have long been, that have affected you and limited you in every way in your life. Number two is remain in His presence. 
His presence, His power, and His goodness, the glory of God, that's a transformational force in your life. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is the presence of God. It is the Spirit of God that has the same transformational effect. Notice what I said. The same word used in Mark to describe the change of Jesus before their eyes is the same word that's used in transforming the mind, is the same word that's used when the Spirit of God transforms us from degree of glory to degree of glory. We are going nowhere without the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Whether you like it sometimes or not, you need the uncompromised Word of God going into your life consistently, and you need ongoing encounters with the Spirit of God. Yes. You, not, you cannot expose yourself to you know, the crowds and gatherings where the Spirit of God is not welcome. This needs to be a Word church, yes. and it needs to be a Holy Ghost church. Amen. You don't need to get offended at the Word, and you don't need to get offended at the Holy Ghost Amen. or His gifts. When somebody gives a tongue and interpretation, you should thank God you're in a place that's alive. When prophecy goes forth and supernatural healings happen, you should thank God. Because you and I cannot be transformed without the Spirit of God in our lives. It's just not going to happen. And a lot of people get born again and sit in a cocoon of religion and legalism and theology. We build a big brick house around us and we never change. Because we've told ourselves the ministry of the Spirit of God is over. That's for yesterday. That was for the early church. Are you kidding me? We are in worse shape than we have ever been in our entire history. We don't need the Word and the Holy Ghost less. We need the Word and the Holy Ghost more. But what shocks me is the devil using preachers to preach secessionism and that the Spirit of God is no longer moving like he did. Well, then we're done. There is no transformation without this word and there is no transformation without the Spirit of God. Not a single person in this room can be transformed just because you had the new birth one day and you don't stay in the word and you don't give the Spirit of God free access in your life. That Spirit will bring everything from correction to reminding us of His truth to giving us encouragement and strength and comfort. I wouldn't want to try living this life without the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, thank God. Come on, say it. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Need any more? Moses said to the Lord, Exodus 33, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Lord, how else will we be transformed? How else will we be distinct if you don't come with us? You know, you can have the service down to, you know, down to the minute and every detail. You can have the lights right, the sound right. You can have everybody polished in their singing and their playing. And you can be great in your delivery and everything is just wonderful and no transformation take place. I have a... You know, a friend who's been involved with the church for a very, very long time. It's uh, very successful in terms of numbers and money. But I can tell you this. When I talk to that friend about what's going on inside of the house, you don't hear stories of transformation. You hear stories in a model of existence. Jesus didn't die so you could exist as a Christian. 
and then one day go to heaven. You know, a very successful church that has on paper everything going for it, and yet made the decision to allow a production company to come into one of their facilities and film a church that mocks the men and women of God and the church of God. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Well, we're just, you know, just trying to be community-minded. No, you do not invite people into the house of God to mock the things of God. That is not of God. That is being trans-fantasy, amen? What I'm trying to tell you is there are houses of worship all over the world that on paper, on attendance, on money, everything seems to be fine. But they are not ticking high in the area of transformation. We're glad you're here. But you should not be the same a year from now. And if you are, there's something very, very wrong. Say it with me. I need the word. I need the Holy Ghost. Say it boldly. I am a word person and I'm a Holy Ghost person and I'm not ashamed. And listen, you're going to freak some people out because you make them nervous. It's like Denzel Washington said, some of the reasons people don't like you is you aggravate the spirit on inside of them. Amen. Say it with me. I remain in the word. I remain in his presence. Change through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit must be, you know, something we understand. The more we're in his presence, the more we're going to change. Your little times, your devotional times where you're praising God and you're listening to the word, you know, and you're, you're praising him and worshiping him. And I don't care what style of music you're using. Amen. Talking about this Wednesday, you go, go back to the early 70s and you'll have worship by Maranatha. How many of y'all older Christians remember Maranatha? Amen. And they were just very, very plain, and there was, there was really nobody harmonizing, but they were very quiet. They steal your soul, and, and you, you can worship to that. It takes me back. Uh, Rita Henley cut several cassettes. Our Rita Henley, a pastor, used to pastor here for years and years and years, and, and Miss Rita cut several tapes, and uh, one of them was called Through the Years. And uh, every time I would get in Mark Randall's car, when I was in college and younger in the Lord, and wherever we go, that particular cassette was there. He'd always listen to that and worship to what she would sing. It was perfect to bring him into the presence of God. Eventually, I asked, I said, you know what? Uh, that's a great tape. I said, but do you have any others? He goes, oh, that's my favorite one. He goes, besides, it's stuck in there. I can't take it out. <laughs> she loves that story. <laughs> But there are times when I can still hear the truth of those songs come back to me again and again and again. Whatever it is, or it's Maranatha, or it's Hillsong, or it's Bethel, or it's the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> boom, bump, boom, bump, boom, bump, mama. <laughs> if you listen to Southern Gospel, you need to spend extra time in the Word. And <laughs> Whatever it is that helps you, everybody's different. The point is, get into his presence. Amen? When I was a kid, I became familiar with 
People like Chris Christopherson, we talked about a few weeks ago, Dallas Home and others, I didn't have a choice. My mom would put them on Sunday morning at 1,000 decibels. But you know what happens is that stuff sticks in your spirit. The truth of what they say and how it led you into a place of worship. Say it with me. The more I'm in God's Word, the more transformed I'm going to be. Say it. The more I'm in His presence, the more transformed I'm going to be. And number three, remain in His church. We're just a local manifestation of His church worldwide. But I've watched this through the years, and I've said this for years. I'm not going to hurry this part, but uh, I've said to many students through the years, and I say the same thing today. When I watch and I see the students that have done well when they leave college, graduate school, professional school, whatever God has them doing, looking at their families, their kids, I notice that those that were involved with a campus ministry on campus and dedicated to it, and also a local church, those are the ones, even today, I can call them by name, they're doing outstanding things for God. But I also found out those that just went to the campus ministry never learned how to be a part of a church and remain in a church. I found out people that just went to church missed out on some great discipleship, relationship building, and how to, how to serve God, how to seek God, because that's what was emphasized in that, in that you know, campus setting. You need it both. And I'm telling you today, if you think you're going to be transformed by just you and your Bible, you're mistaken. People have that mentality. I, I got my Bible. I don't need to go to church. If you read that Bible, you would know you were wrong about that. So it's apparent you're not reading that Bible. You just make an excuse. Yeah, you need the Word. Yeah, you need the Holy Ghost. But you need to remain in His church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the ascendant of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but by exhorting one another and so much more as the day approaches. Uh, and you know, the, the, the day is approaching. Yes, is. Amen. You say, why is this important? Because there was a good friend of Jesus named Lazarus who passed away and, and they let him know and he remained where he was until four days. And after four days, somebody tell me what, what the body smelled like. This is where I love the King James. It stinketh. <laughs> and he shows up. And he sees them weeping and he sees the emotional reaction and he and people don't really know was he was he having an emotional experience when he wept or was he crying because of the unbelief? We don't know. Or a combination of both. But we do know this. He got around to it, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? As many wise scholars and pastors and preachers have said, he was specifically calling Lazarus because if he gave, gave a categorical come forth, everybody would have come out of the tomb that day. <laughs> Lazarus came out. And what did Jesus tell him? You need to take off the grave's clothes. You unwrap him. Listen carefully. The church is charged with unwrapping people from their grave clothes. Jesus gives us life from the dead. But our job is to unwrap each other. And I'm telling you, the body of Christ, even in Murray, just filled with mummies roaming the streets. You could have filled the night of the living dead in this town. Amen. Because they're still wrapped. Are they alive? Sure. 
Are they living? No. We are here to help unwrap you. And look at somebody and say, and you could use some unwrapping. Come on, tell somebody else. You could use some unwrapping. There are all kinds of grave clothes lingering after the new birth. And we need each other to remove those death thoughts, words, and motives, and actions. They're there. But have you noticed that we can't do everything by ourselves? Have you ever had the embarrassing moment when you bought some article of clothing, wore it to church or to work for somebody to tell you the tag was still on it? You need somebody to tell you when some death tag is still hanging on you. And church is there for you. <laughs> I love the story of Mark 2 where there were four men that made up their minds. They're going to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. And so they pick him up. Can't be easy to go a great distance carrying a man on a pallet. They get to the house, it's full, crammed full. They can't get him through the doors, can't get him through the windows. They see the side stairs, the old Palestinian type of flat roof with the stairs on the side. And they take him up to the top, get on top of the roof, and they begin to undo the roof, and they lower the man into the presence of the Son of God, where he not only heals and forgives, he restores, he brings life back to that man, all because of what? Four church folk. Not too busy. Engage with somebody who had a great need in their life. You and I know that he's not going to get there any other way. The church is incredibly important in these, these days. You need to remain in the Word, remain in the Holy Ghost, but remain in church. And if you've been flipping about it or had a you know attitude about it, everything else is important to you, well, you know what? There, it's a good thing about a new year. It's an opportunity to do things differently this year. And if you want to make a change, make a change. Come on, say it. I'm remaining in the Word. I'm remaining in the Spirit. I'm remaining in church. These things will transform your lives. It's hard to explain to somebody who's unlearned, but things happen under a corporate anointing that don't happen necessarily when you're all by your lonesome. Not that God can't do things, He does. But I'm going to tell you what, when people begin to worship God like they did this morning, the presence of God begins to descend, things happen that we can't even put our finger on. But you can't duplicate just because you're separated off on your own. Amen. <laughs> Brother Osteen told a lot of funny stories and, and it blessed me for years as I listened to his ministry. But he used to tell a story about this woman had this beautiful canary. And that canary would sit on that little swing with a little wooden bar and just kind of swing back and back. And I mean, morning it would sing the most beautiful songs. And then the afternoon it would sing the most beautiful songs. And, and even at night time, she'd have to sometimes say, Shh, be still, it's not. He'd just sing, he used to love to sing. And so one day she was in there uh, cleaning out uh, the birdcage. And she's got a vacuum cleaner and she's beginning to suck everything out. And she got distracted for a moment, lifted up the vacuum hose and boom! Oh, no. Beautiful bird was sucked into the vacuum cleaner. She's frantic now. I mean, she turns the thing off and she rips the outer cover open. She pulls the bag out, slices it open, searches frantically for the bird. Finally founds the bird and the bird's like this. 
just covered in dirt and dust. Just horrible. And she she got some water and cleaned its little feathers and cleaned its little beak and got everything away from the eyes and, and put it back on the stoop. But you know what she said? He never sang again. <laughs> Thank God their church folk to help clean us off. Rescue us out of the vacuum bag. And some of y'all right now, you kind of look like that canary. If you're not careful, you get used to looking like that. Amen. But you know, we do know one who, according to Psalm 40, is able to give us a new song. Restore the song back into our lives. And that's what he does for us, doesn't he, church? Transformation. Say it with me. It's the year of transformation. In Jesus' name, I refuse to be morphed into a trans fantasy. I'm going to morph into the image of Christ through his word, through his spirit, and through his church. And speaking of lovebirds, uh, Cannon Ferguson and Mary Beth Larkin, they got engaged this past week. I'd, I'd see him talking outside after church, and I just kind of roll my window on and go, lovebirds. Let's all do that for him. Ready? One, two, three. Let's give him some love. I'm sure they really enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm telling you, the times when you feel like you've been vacuumed up and you need his word, you need his spirit, and you need his people. Amen. We can do what we can do, and then he can do what he can do. And you'll see that as these principles are followed, uh, you're going to be able to, uh, to be really in your life and other people a bulwark, not to be sucked into this nonsense that's going on. Come on, say, I love everybody. I just don't agree with everything they do. Amen. Glory to God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap and thank Him today.